He says, it's good to see a lot of faces this morning. We talked about it last week, about how important it is for the church to gather together. And I understand we've got a situation where we can't all gather together and we can't be together like normal, but how important it is for us to come together in all times, and we're much more aware of it in times like this, right? It's been a very uh, difficult week for our country, a very traumatic week for our country. Um, we saw a man killed on our phone, killed dead in the street, unjustly and inhumanely killed. And we, we, we watched it. We saw that happen. And it's so startling to have that in front of your face. And so we're, we're trying to, to, to process that, what it would feel like to have your face pressed to the ground, held there by the neck for any length of time, right? But especially long enough, that as long as it was, it, it's torturous and abhorrent and can't think of words bad enough to describe it, right? And then we see what happens when we're faced with tragedy and injustice and inhumanity and people don't have the right way to process that. They don't have the right way to combat against it. And so you see cities caught on fire and, and, and businesses destroyed and neighborhoods brought to rubble in, in, in anger and in pain. We're seeing that in a nationwide reaction. I was watching some of those videos last night and it didn't, I, I felt just as bad as when I watched the, the one earlier in the week because I see us trying to answer darkness with darkness and evil for evil. What did we talk about last week? Love your enemies. That's what Jesus came preaching. He said, do good to those that curse you. Love those that hate you. But we see that our nation is without the answer. And this is what it looks like when people far from God encounter issues that they have no way to process, that they have no way to work against. And so when we feel out of control, what do we try to do? We try to get control back. And she see that and, and, and lashing out and, and anger and, and grief and, and wounds. And I understand there's all different kind of things going on. You know, or is everybody out there doing wrong? No, they're, they're just there. There are plenty that are. And again, cities burning, communities broken. And then ironically, death and violence being committed to protest and answer death and violence. It just doesn't, but they have no other answer. Obviously it's a wrong way to handle things, but again, faced with life that we can't control and wrong that we aren't able to write, we only have so many options. And that's why it's so important that the church gather together because the church is the only one that has the answer. Jesus is the only answer that we have. Aren't you thankful that we have it? What would it be like to be without an answer? To deal with anger and hurt and grief without the answer. 
And at the same time, it's, it's such a stark reminder of the wounds that exist in our country, the racial tension that exists in our country, the, the wounds and the pain that come from that. How much do we need Jesus and his kingdom that we've been reading about and learning about? Do we need to see it? Your kingdom come quickly. Lord, your kingdom come quickly, bringing righteousness and justice. And it's not like we're the first ones ever to deal with this type of situation. You can look all the way back as far as you want to go in Scripture and see the Egyptians persecuting the Israelites. You can see it all over when their, their relationship and the tension with the Samaritans in the New Testament. You can go around the world and you can see it in Asia and you can see it in Africa and you can see it, of course, in, in America. Everywhere we deal with this tension and that's not to diminish it. That's to say how big of an issue it is. And the bigger the issue, the bigger the solution has to be. It has to be bigger than the issue and for an issue so large. There's no other solution than the kingdom. So how can it be fixed? Obviously, we see things going that aren't going to fix anything. It's only going to make it worse. It's one heart at a time. The church, one heart at a time, reaching out one heart at a time, one household at a time. One city at a time, one area at a time, moving from the dominion of darkness or humanity on its own is only evil and dark. But the kingdom taking over. And you see the, these situations as they come up with, it's not the first one that we've seen. And each one is just as grievous as the last. And they all took to me trace back to a devaluing of human life, a devaluing of the life of others. And we see, do unto others as you would have them do to you. We generally value ourselves pretty highly. What is he saying? Value others just as highly. There's a term, it's, it's Imago Dei, and it translates the image of God because it says that we were all created in the image of God, God created us to image him to his creation. To demonstrate his glory here on the earth. And so when you see that someone created the image of God, devalued and, and depersoned. That's why we're pro-life. We're pro-life from the womb with the babies all the way to the tomb to the centenarian in, in the nursing home. We're pro-life and everywhere in between because we have to be because he is because that life is important and life is valuable. And we have to treat it that way. Here in our hearts and then in our interactions with folks outside, what we've been talking about, what we've been going through, what Jesus is teaching and what we're going to talk about today is the subversive way to deal with all of these issues and bring the kingdom into manifestation around us. 
right? Is there a lot of stuff that needs to happen nationally, states, reform? Yes, but if you don't get to the heart, you can change all the rules you want to. You can change all the committees that you want to. You, you, you can take people out of office and put new people into office, but if we don't get to the heart with the gospel, the good news, that in my weakness, his power is displayed, then we will not get any better. We won't get any better. He, it, it, he is the answer. Not one of the answers, not maybe it'll work. He is the answer, solo, the only one. And we're the ones that carry it from where we are to everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. Loving so that it's different with us. We talked about last week. He said, even sinners do this. What are you doing that's different? What sets you apart? And the gospel sets us apart. So we love him. We serve him. And then from that, we love others and we serve others. And we don't cease to pray. But it's hard to pray for peace to reign in the hearts of folks that are far from God. Because how is peace going to reign in their heart? They get close to him. That's what has to happen. It has to happen. And how can it says it in the word? How can they believe unless they've heard? How can they hear unless there's somebody telling them? And so that's on us. We, we go and we declare and not just in our words, but also with our actions, not only our actions, but with our words. Amen. And we do continue to pray. And I want to spend just a moment here this morning in, in prayer, us joining our faith together. You join with us to pray for our hearts, our community, and, and as it extends out the nation uh, that, that we see in, in distress right now. And all the individual lives created in the image of God that need to be redeemed, restored, and set free. Amen. Father, we are weak and needy in every situation without you, God, but we're reminded ever more when we deal with such big, fiery issues, God, that, 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 that cause such pain in our hearts and our minds that overwhelm us, and could even bring us to dismay. But God, I thank you that in you, we find peace for our heart. We find your love readily available for us. God, and you fuel us with that. You fuel us with the kingdom so that we can go out into life and we can do good to others. That we can love you and then love those you've put in our life and in our path. Loving you and loving our neighbor. Father, not out of our own goodness or what we can muster up, but because you have literally changed our lives and you're changing the way that we think and you're conforming us to the image of your son, Jesus. And we know that these issues are important to him because they're all about people. 
hearts that have been wounded, hearts that have been hurt, hearts that have been persecuted and let down. I thank you, Lord, that you can draw them close. You can restore and you can build up. And I thank you that you will empower your church as your church meets today. We've seen lots of meetings in the in, in the streets and we've seen what happens when man comes together without you. Father, as your church gathers today, I thank you that they are built up and empowered to go out and love the communities that you've placed them in to be ready to be a standard and an example, not because they're better, but because you're good. And I thank you that you will push back the darkness. You will push back the darkness with the light of your life and your love. Father, that you will push it back, that you will bring peace to chaotic situations, that you will stand in authority and your kingdom will come and your will will be done and our nation will turn to you and pray and repent and change the way that we think and follow you. Follow you from today on. I thank you for all the eyes that are going to be opened. Lord, that faith would be stirred up in the hearts of men and women across this country. That they'll see that there is no hope for us on our own. But God, you are so much better. You are so much better and you are so loving and you are nothing like all the pain and distress that we feel otherwise. I thank you that there is a balm in Gilead. There is a medicine for our need. And his name is Jesus. And I thank you that he's big enough to hold us and to add many, many, many more to our number. And I thank you for all those that will come to faith. I thank you, Lord, for the light that will shine in the darkness. And the darkness will not overcome the light because God even... Total darkness to us isn't dark to you because you exist in unapproachable light. And we love you and we thank you and we seek you for wisdom and instruction and ability to walk in the coming days. God, we ask for uh, wisdom and faith for the leaders of all of our communities. God, those that are elected and those who are just leaders in their, because people follow them, I thank you, Lord, that they'll hear from you. I thank you, Lord, that you'll give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation, knowledge of you, Lord, to, to lead in righteousness and justice. And I thank you that you, you, you love justice and you will work it and it will flow like a river. I thank you that we see what it looks like without you. Lord, we know what it looks like with you. Do mighty works in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Whew. It's a lot, right? It's a lot. And God is good. He is good and only good. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 6 in verse 37 I'm going to read it aloud this morning and I pray that he'll, he'll bless you and what I believe he's given me to encourage you with today Luke 6 37 do not judge others and you will not be judged do not condemn others or it will all come back against you forgive others and you will be forgiven Give and you will receive. Your gift 
will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like a teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So again, fun stuff. Follow up to love your enemies is do not judge others and you will not be judged. Now, this may come as a surprise to you, but people in general and also Christians have a tendency to be critical of one another. And again, you may be surprised to, to know that. And, and people often throw this verse around as ammunition to say that, that we shouldn't judge anybody at all, ever. Right. We've heard that. You don't judge. You're just being judgmental. You're just judging. Right. We've all heard that. And I remember I was sitting in a uh, uh, courtroom for a trial that was going to take place. And I was in there for the jury selection. I wasn't on the in the jury pool. I think I'd like to be. I don't know. I think it would be interesting to see that part of the system. And one of the things they ask you in jury selection or voir dire, they call it because they like to use weird words, is, is there anything that you think would keep you from rendering a just verdict in this case? Being able to contemplate the facts, you know, take them into account and render a verdict. And there was this one um, older lady and she said, well, I just don't believe we're supposed to judge anybody. And so the lawyer asked her again, well, but do you think if you took the facts, do you think you'd be able to? Well, the Bible says I'm not supposed to judge anybody. So I don't think now I don't know if this was a heartfelt conviction of hers or if she wanted to just go home and not be there for jury duty. Right. A lot of people just want to get out of jury duty from what I understand. And so the question, though, is, is she right? Is she right about that? Are Christians never supposed to judge anybody, anything, anytime? How's that work? And what we see, because again, Scripture interprets Scripture, right? So you, you see plenty of occasions where even Jesus would make a statement that's going to require some type of judgment on the individual's part. He, he said in Matthew, don't throw your pearls before swine, right? So that means you're going to have to figure out who's swine and who's not in this example. There's some, there's some judgment involved. We read what Paul wrote in Corinthians when he said, you know, you've got a guy who's sleeping with his father's wife and he thinks it's OK because he's found in Christ. Y'all are supposed to look at that and say, hey, buddy, that's not right. Right. And so that requires some some judgment there. And you see in first John, he talks about the church being able to discern between true prophets and teachers and false prophets and teachers. And that's going to require some judgment on our part, because when we talk about the word judgment, it can mean basically just to call something what it is. Like to say, this is a cup. That's a judgment. 
Right. We would say, well, it's maybe a statement of fact, but I'm, I'm judging this to be this. Well, how much do you think it'll hold? I judge that it would hold about this much. That's what it's saying. This is what this is. Giving something a name, making a decision regarding something. And we'll even see later in Luke six, just a little bit past that. Jesus talks about a tree and its fruit that a, a good tree will give good fruit and a bad tree, bad fruit, but never the other way around. So there's some room there to go. OK, this is good tree, good fruit. This is bad tree, bad fruit. So what are we to learn and to do here? And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to, to read through scripture in context and watch how it unfolds to see, well, he did say this. What else did he say after that? So I want to go actually to the end of what we read to talk about that. And then we'll go back and apply it to the beginning and, and, and finish out. But I'll start there at the end to help us understand what he says here by what he says next. So look at verse 41 and 42 there at the end. He said, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So Jesus is using humor and exaggeration to prove a point. He's using an example that's, that's it's hyperbole, that doesn't even make natural sense. It wouldn't happen, but that we can hear and go, okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. He's saying, why would you say to someone who has a speck in their eye or just something so tiny that it's barely even there, like a little piece of dirt, a little piece of grass. Why, why would you say to someone that you wanted to help them with that in their eye when you're sitting there with a with a tree trunk sticking out of your of your own eye? And you're saying, friend, let me help you see clearly. He's like, really? And then he says, hypocrite. And this word is going to be important for what we're talking about today. The word hypocrite, one of the translations that was used in, in Greek theater, it was somebody who, it was an actor who wore a mask during the play. They would say their lines from behind a mask. So I've seen a lot of people joking, you know, and talk about wearing you know, the masks to church because of the virus and stuff. And I've seen some articles with the clickbait of uh, uh, don't wear your mask to church. And people are like clicking on you. Know, and then what it's talking about is don't, you know, be a hypocrite. Don't be somebody who says their lines from behind a mask, meaning acting one way, but actually being somebody else. Pretending to be one way or presenting yourself as one way, but actually being something else. In this example with the speck and the log, it's acting like you can see clearly, even more clearly than your brother when you really can't, when you're not able to because your vision is blocked by this huge log. Again, his example sticking out of your eye. So, so he calls them hypocrites. He said, you're acting like you have it all together when you don't. See, they thought they were righteous. They were in right standing just because they had gotten good at observing all of the ceremonial laws and all of the teachings and talking about it. And what Jesus is saying is you act like you're seeing perfect and you have overlooked this big, huge log that's sticking out of your eye, hypocrite. 
So again, interesting thing as we're talking about this and as it fits in with this passage, the word hypocrite does mean to say your lines from behind or under a mask, but it's made up of two Greek words put together. One is, I think they say hupa, which is hypo. It's spelled hypo, H-Y-P-O. We would say hypo. And, and, and krenos, which is the same word for judge. When he says don't judge, it's Krenos. When he says hypocrite, it means judge from under. So judge is even tied in with that word hypocrite. Hupa or hypocrino, hypocrite. Jesus is saying you act like you have it together and that you're so good that you can clean up others just by your own goodness. That you're going to teach them to be like you because you're good and you're going to fix them but you aren't good. You're just wearing a mask. And he's talking, uh, of course, the, the Pharisees were following him around, but he, he, he's speaking specifically of them or anybody who has the same heart. He's saying you act like you love when you don't. You act like you forgive or you have forgiven others when you haven't. You act like you don't struggle when you actually do. You act like you're selfless when actually you're being selfish. He's saying you're acting. You are being hypocritical because you are presenting yourself one way and you are not that way at all. And look, Jesus hates that attitude. He hates it. He hates a hypocritical attitude. Just think about some of the things he said to him. He said, you're like a cup that's been cleaned only on the outside, but the inside is dirty. He said, you're like a whitewashed tomb that it, it's all, it looks so clean and white and, and pretty on the outside, but on the inside, it's just full of dead men's bones. I don't think he liked that attitude very much. But look at what he says next in, in, in verse 42, at the end of 42. He says, first, get rid of the log in your own eyes. This thing you're acting like you don't have, these problems you're acting like you don't have, address that. And then go to your brother with the speck in his eye. You'll see well enough then to help him deal with that. So even in this example, there's still the expectation that you identify even the speck in your brother's eye and help him or her correct it. Help them remove it so they can see clearly. Hey, hey, brother, I, I feel like there's this issue going on. You know, I, I just want to help. I want to help you address this. I want to help you grow in this. I want to help you overcome this because I think this is affecting the way that you see. And that requires a measure of judgment, right? Calling something by name. But look at the difference of heart between what they were doing and what he's calling for. It's not a means as, of condemning someone or demeaning someone and go, hmm, you got that speck, man. It's bad. He's saying you're making their speck out to be a log when really the log is in your eye. And Jesus always, always takes it to, to a point where we can't do it without 
he, um, he, it's going to require a measure of judgment, going to require calling something by name, but not demeaning someone, but instead seeking their betterment and their good. It's not a way of exalting myself over them to go, oh, I don't have a speck in my eye, so I'm going to you know, drop down and help you deal with your problems that I've never dealt with and that I don't have. And there's even some power in that when we can approach it and say, hey, I felt that same way. I've had that same problem. I've dealt with an issue just like that or similar to that. And I know how it makes you feel. I know how you're feeling right now. Here's what I found. Here's how I found that Christ wants to answer that in your life. And so you're bringing healing and encouragement instead of guilt and condemnation and hopelessness, which is what they were getting from the religious leaders of the time. So you can see in context, you know, going back to 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Was my little lady at jury selection, was she right? Well, not quite. Not quite. Because Jesus isn't just dealing with the action of judging something or someone. He's dealing with the heart motivation of where is your energy coming from to be dealing with this? What is this coming out of? Remember last week, the passage we read had the golden rule in there. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Right? In, back in verse 31. And, and in Matthew 7, this same teaching is recorded there by Matthew where Jesus said these same things. But he also included, you will be treated in judgment the same way that you treat others. The same measure you use when you judge others is going to be used towards you. So what, what he's teaching us is honestly, honestly, meaning without the mask, without uh, superficiality, without putting up a front, honestly hold yourself to the standard that you are asking others to hold themselves to before you hold them to it. Hold yourself to it first. Don't go hunting specks when there's still a log in your eye. He's saying hold yourself to the standard first and be ready to give them the amount of grace that you are willing to give yourself. Because again, we're willing to give ourselves all kinds of grace. We'll excuse our behavior. We'll, well, this is why, I mean, this is, it's really not my fault. You know, we'll give ourselves all, all these excuses and this grace, but justice immediate for everybody else. And, and so be ready to give the same amount of grace that you give yourself. And again, do it honestly, not behind a mask and not just in an isolated area. Not saying I cleaned this, I cleaned the kitchen and consider the whole house clean, right? Because we'll do that. We'll compartmentalize and we'll go, well, this area where people are going to come in and see, this is really good. I've got this really clean. Don't look in the closet. Don't look in the back bedroom. Everybody has a spot where you throw it. Somebody's coming over. Let's clean up the family room and area and it's all going to the other place. And it's not, it's moved, but it's not clean. And so don't isolate areas of your life and get one area really, really clean and act like that takes care of everything. We don't want to do that in our own life. We want to look at the whole picture. Now, this brings up another question. Do you have to be perfect before you bring something to someone else's attention? Well, of course not. Because are you going to be perfect on this side of heaven? No. And that's our instinct when somebody comes to us 
with something that's going to confront us. Hey, Stephen, I've noticed this. It seems like, you know, this has been a problem. You know, this has really been a, a, a trigger issue for you. And, you know, your attitude has changed. What our first thing is to figure out something about them that brings it even. Right. Well, I mean, I, I've I, I, I've seen you do this. Well, yeah, I'm not saying I haven't, man. I, well, are you saying you're perfect? No, no. Yes, I have this and this and this. We can bring them out. We can bring it all out here and talk about it. But it doesn't take away from the fact that what I'm trying to address is valid. And again, my heart is for your good in it. So do we have to be perfect to bring something up? No. Can't be perfect. So what, what's the difference? We don't act like we do have everything under control. We say, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't act like you got everything in place. When it's not in place, be honest with yourself and honest with others. And then you grow together. You know, instead, we, we've got folks that their attitude is turning like they're the gotcha police. They're the sin police. And, and their whole job is just to catch people. And it's not out of love or compassion for the person that they're dealing with, most of the time it's just so they can feel better about themselves, right? Right. Yeah, I know, fun, oh man, so fun. But, but it's more that they feel good because they they're, they're working from behind a mask and they got to take somebody else down a notch. And again, it's the motivation and it's the heart. So let's, let's keep reading. Verse 38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, make to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. Now, given the context of what we're talking about, does it sound like that's talking about money expressly, directly? Probably not. Could it be applied there? Maybe. But how many only heard that as an offering verse? Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. Will men give unto your bosom? You're like, I don't know what that is, but okay. Right? I think I have a bosom. I have a bosom. People are giving into it. I don't know. Right? But we've heard it like that. How many ever heard it in relation to judging situations in life and forgiving others in life? Rarely, right? If at all. But that's the context of what it's in. Forgiveness is before it and after it. Reaping and sowing, very real thing. And it applies also to these actions in our life. Grace, forgiveness, without condemnation and judgment. Or pick one. Are you operating in grace and forgiveness or are you operating in condemnation and judgment? What he's saying is what you give out, you're going to get back. And just like he said in Matthew, the same standard by which you're judging others, you're going to be held to. So that's why I say we want to give as much grace to others as we are willing to give to ourselves. And then that our heart in it is to see them made better and whole. And by the way, this example, when men given to your Bosom, this one says, you know, pour it into your lap. You've seen kids when they'll go out and they're messing with something in the yard. Maybe they got an apple tree or fruit tree or maybe they're just picking up acorns and they want to carry a bunch of them and their pockets aren't big enough. So they take their shirt. This was like a marketplace thing. They didn't have pockets either. They had these robes and they would, put, you know, flip it up and put stuff in it. And then here we go. I'm carrying stuff around in it. 
So he's saying what you give out is going to be poured back on you. If you're living in a, in a mindset of judgment and condemnation, look out. That's what's coming back to you. And what you figure out is people that are so nervous, nervous, sensitive of people being critical to them. Like that's a fear of theirs that people are going to be super critical of them. What you figure out is they're either doing that to themselves or also doing it to others. And so they think that everybody acts like them. Well, I'm critical of everybody else. Surely everybody else operates the same way I do. I know they're looking at me and judging me. Why? Because in my heart, I'm looking at them and judging them. He's saying whatever you give out is coming back to you. So wouldn't you rather get back grace, forgiveness instead of judgment and tied with condemnation? Hope and grace coming to you. He's saying you'll be treated the way that you treat others as it relates to grace and forgiveness. So almost done. We're getting close. Verse 39, Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into the ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. So that's a pretty easy question, right? Can a blind person lead another blind person? Probably not the best idea. Won't they both fall into the ditch? It's likely. Probable that this is going to happen, right? So he uses that as an example. It's a great example to, to remind us to ask ourselves the question, who are we following? Who are we following? Are we following him or are we following not him? Are we following someone who is whole or following people that are broken? Who are we following? We know that we should follow him, he says, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like their teacher. So that word for student is also the same word for disciple. It's just translated differently on this one. Students are not greater than their teacher. When you follow an earthly teacher only, the best you can hope to be is just like they are. That's the best you can hope for, Right. When you're following an earthly teacher only, any teacher, the best you can hope for is to be as good as they are. And that's what they were used to. They, they would be trained under a rabbi and they would be trained under his teachings and the way that he understood things. And they would have that, but they wouldn't have anything else. And so he's saying the best you can do is get up to the level of your teacher. Students are not greater than their teacher. Disciples are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like his teacher. And that word fully trained is pretty rich as far as what all it contains. Remember, number one, it means complete. The student who is complete will be just like his teacher. Fully trained also means repaired and mended. It means taking something that was broken like a net and mending the tears in it until it's whole again. That would also be the same word, fully trained. To equip, the student who's equipped, given what they need, who is prepared, will be like their teacher. And then it even went to an to, to a ethics reach of those that are strengthened, prepared, complete. And when you make something as it ought to be, when you make something to be as it ought to be, which also 
talks about our righteousness, to be in right standing with God when a man is as he ought to be. It says when you're fully trained, a student is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. So are we following him as our teacher? Is our life guided by him both internally and externally so that we can be fully trained? And are we better than him? No, it says that. Student can't be greater than the teacher. But when a student is fully trained, he will be like, become like the teacher. We aren't him, but he's made a way for us to be like him. Not following other blind people around, but following the only one who came here seeing clearly. Even if we get down to just specks in our eye, he never had one. Much less the logs in our sight that we've dealt with, the things that get in our way, our past experience, our past failures, our past issues with others that have affected our vision. He never had it and he'll help us with ours because he sees clearly. We want to judge ourselves first with the training that we've received from our teacher not being a hypocrite, not wearing a mask, not pretending we have it all together when we don't, not pretending that we're loving when we're not, not pretending that we're forgiven when we're walking in unforgiveness, but being honest with what we're dealing with and how he's helping us walk through it. Honest about my need for grace and ready to give others that same grace that I extend towards myself. Hopeful that it will lead them to better because that's my heart for them. Should be my heart for them is that they walk with him in better, best. The best for them is to walk with him. Earnestly desiring that things would be well with them. And again, if I see you in danger, I ought to speak up. Well, we're not supposed to judge. But if I see you covered in gasoline, about to light a cigarette, I should speak up. Right? Won't you judge me? I'm not. Listen, listen. Hard not to judge this. This is about to turn out really, 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 really bad. I have experience with really, really, really bad. This looks just like that. I don't want you to get hurt. Right? It's not condemnation. It's not I'm better than you because you're about to torture your life. It's I want better for you than this. I want you to have the truth instead of the lie that you're apparently living under to think that this is going to be good for you, that this is going to work out. OK, well, I know it. people drench themselves in gasoline all the time and catch on fire, but it won't be like that with me. It'd be different with me. I got it figured out. No. No. But we do this. We do this with sin. We do this with the mindsets of the world. We see it fail over and over and over and over again. And then we think, maybe though, maybe. No, no. And that's not judgment. If you come to them in love. Look, I sit in darkness. I know what it feels like to be in the dark. Let me tell you how it feels when somebody turns the light on. Let me tell you how it feels when somebody turns the light on on but see we, we want to set our house on fire and then pray for God to put it out you set it on fire your own self God my house is on fire how'd this happen you did this you did this and see again it can be expressed in love 
and I want the better for you. I'm not perfect. He is. I'll take you to him. Don't follow me because if you follow me, you won't get any better than I am. And we I need to get a lot better myself. Not condemnation, not me better, not me being perfect. It's I don't want you to burn your life down. And there is hope and there is truth. And as we learn from him, we learn what is right. We learn what is good. We learn what is sinful and what is corrupt because we've seen it. We've seen the effects of sin in our life. So we can easily communicate that and go, this is not what you want. There is better than this. And it's not judgmental. It's bring, it's saying, this is what this is. You don't want this. Trust me, I had it. It wasn't good. We apply it to ourselves first and then we lovingly and graciously take it to others. Amen. Andrew, if you'll come up, we'll get ready to sing together. Listen, I know. Love your enemies. Judge not. Let you be judged. These are tough things. Tough things. And again, Jesus always did this. He always took it to the point where it's going to be impossible for you to do it well on your own. Do you notice that? Always did it. He always took it to the point where even the best of the best, the ones who were the most disciplined, then the best at following the rules would still fail based on the standard that he set. He's the only one that can meet it. And that's why he is, this is what we're saying, he is our only defense, our only hope of glory, of seeing God's glory in person. He's our only hope of getting there regardless of who we are, regardless of where we come from, Regardless of what our background is, none of it is good enough to get you in there without him. And so he makes it impossible for us to do it without him, but he makes it available for us to do it with him. Amen. Let's stand up. We'll pray together and then and then sing together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given it as a gracious gift to your people, to your church, so that we can learn from our teacher. He's our Savior and He's our Lord and He teaches us how to walk in this life so that we can live from the kingdom of heaven and not from the kingdom of earth, so that we can live from heavenly knowledge and wisdom and not the carnal, earthly desires that we see at work in our own flesh and in the world around us. Father, I thank you that you've given us a better way. You've given us the bread of life. You've given us water that will quench our thirst forever. And I thank you that you're teaching us that we can grow into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit as we pursue you both individually and together, corporately as a body. I thank you that you are growing us and that when we encounter situations that we will be able to call things out by name, but we'll be able to do it lovingly and graciously, just like you called us. And I thank you that we won't say things from behind a mask, but we'll be open and honest about our struggles, about our hurts, about our sin, and we'll bring it to you because you're the only one that can do something righteous with it. You're the only one that can make us what we need to be. And Father, I thank you that we don't have to be overwhelmed when we see the commands in Scripture because it's clear that we are not able to fulfill them on our own, but we trust you to give us what we need to accomplish what you've put us here to do. I thank you that it'll be a light in the darkness. Your kingdom will stand like a city on a hill so that others will see it and believe. Lord, I pray for your people. I pray for your church. As we, as we enter into this week, God, protect us, keep us safe. 
I thank you that you give us opportunity to love and encourage those around us. And as we spend time with you, I thank you that you fill us up rightly so that we can be poured out to bring light and life and love into our community. God, keep your people safe. I thank you that you relieve us uh, from this virus that is, is, is still an issue to be dealt with. But Father, I thank you that more than anything, you have overcome all darkness, death, hell, and the grave. And I thank you that you are going to walk us into a manifestation of that victory, that your light will shine this week into dark places, that hearts that have been raging and hungry will receive an answer from you and you alone. You're the only one that can calm the rage of our hearts and the only one that can fill the hunger of our souls. And I thank you, Lord God, that you will move mightily this week in our country. And you'll do it through the hands and the feet of the men and women of your church. You'll do it through words of encouragement and knowledge. And I thank you, Lord God, that your gospel will go forth and break the chains and the bonds that have been holding people in the bondage of hate and rage. I thank you, Lord, that you are setting people free just like you've always done. We love you. We thank you. Be Lord over our life. Be Lord over our families, over our communities. God, and we turn our nation over to you. In Jesus' name.